2: Welcome to a very special edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, anything that's on your heart, questions about what we believe, why we believe it, uh, doctrinal issues, maybe personal issues going on in your life. We'll do the best that we can to answer them. Today, I'm pretty sure we're going to get the best answers because I have a special guest in studio with me uh, here today. Before I get started in anything else, I have to say hi to Paula. I miss you. Thank you for your prayers. I know you're listening. I'll be home soon. 340, actually, let me start. 210-340-9585 is the number for your phone calls. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local area. Uh, Out of San Antonio, you can dial toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your question by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. One button is all you have to hit. Call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. We are live from our men's retreat at Camp Buckner in a place called Burnett, Texas. The weather has been good. It rained a little bit yesterday, but we've escaped any rain today. Uh, People are getting saved right after this program. We're going out to the pool to do some baptisms, and I'm told there's quite a number of men that are going to get baptized. Those are always the reasons that we're here, uh, people being introduced to Jesus. Uh, I have a special guest, Pastor Eric Coburn from Calvary Chapel in Frisco, Texas, uh, a man I've known. I told our church uh, last night that I've known him for nearly his entire adult life, and we've been thrilled to have Pastor Eric here uh, sharing with our men. Eric, welcome to the program.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll get to some questions and stuff.
3: Uh, I grew up um, in Southern California, and my parents were saved in the Jesus movement. About 1986, my dad moved to, moved us all out to Texas. He took over Calvary Chapel Dallas, and I've been in Texas most of my life, other than a short stint in the army.
2: And you've probably been walking with Jesus then since you were a baby, right?
3: Uh, not so much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tell a little bit of your story. You shared last night. That was good.
3: So I was five when my parents were saving the Jesus movement, and then we started going to Christian church. And I grew up in Christian schools most of my life in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, um, from kindergarten to seventh grade. Um, walked with the Lord, um, uh, served the Lord, grew up a missionary kid um, as my mom and dad were leading a Mexico ministry. Uh, we moved to Texas and I just, at 15 years old, wanted to prove to the world that I wasn't a goody two-shoe pastor (laughs) kid and the devil was much obliged to help me in that journey. And, uh, I was, uh, 18 years old when I joined the United States army. And, uh, at that point in my life, got clean and sober and, uh, rededicated my life to the Lord. Um, at that point, um, it was a bumpy road, um, after three years in the Army and about three years after that is when I really, my eyes really opened to the to the Lord and his hand and his work, and he grabbed hold of my heart. And about ten years after that, I was ordained as a minister.
2: Now, I know you were on staff with your dad's church. Um, for full disclosure, his dad is a really, really dear friend of mine. And I've known you a long time from there, but uh, it wasn't too long ago that you, you sensed the call to start in Frisco, Texas, which isn't far from Plano. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the work in Frisco.
3: Yeah, so it was about five years ago we started a home group uh, in Frisco, and, man, the Lord's hand was just on it. It just blew up, and we were live streaming into other houses and other states, and um, we did the home group. We started the end of July, and by November we moved it to a Sunday morning study with my Pastor Rick, my dad's blessing, and... um, we uh, did that for a couple months and then had to find it. We just didn't have room. And, uh, uh, but it's been a good work. It's, it's been exciting. It's been challenging. Um, nothing like I thought, but <laughs> I, I know I'm in the center of God's will, so that's yeah. That's it.
2: You know, starting a new work, it always sounds like such an adventure, doesn't it? Uh. And, and, and then you, you realize that nobody shows up, at least in the beginning, and, and your faithfulness is being tested and we think, well, if people would come, God says, will you be faithful if only a few come? And um, 1 Corinthians four two says it's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. And the first real hurdle that we all face when we plant a church is will we be faithful in those days of small things?
3: Mm, absolutely. And that was a verse that the Lord gave me. Uh, quite a few times uh, being uh, even delighting myself in the days of small things, the Lord was faithful with the servant team we we had the team we had we had good people and uh, our problem was filling up the house um, really it uh, there was an eagerness f- for it but uh once we moved out of the house, everything changed when we were in a building and uh, that 's when i I think the real struggles uh, began uh, the uh, it 's a lot harder to Tow a trailer, set up a church, tear it down, all that kind of stuff. and, and um, But the Lord has been very faithful. Um, uh, he's, he has no problem stretching my faith. I mean, there's been times when I told <laughs> my wife, hey, I'm not getting paid. And, you know, that's always a comfortable conversation to have. And uh, the Lord will take care of us. and But he always has. Um, it, uh, it's been awesome. It's been scary. Uh, but I love it. I, we get to see people come to Jesus
2: somebody needs to make a note you get paid
3: yeah (laughs) I don't believe it or not that was one of the things the Lord told me though (laughs) it was because I was on staff at a church in uh, in Calvary Dallas and and it got to a point where we needed to start making cuts in the church and and, uh, um, I was the guy um, and uh, Lord what am I supposed to do and the Lord said um, that that, uh, his minister would make his living by the word and uh, okay well what's that mean And then that's how the church plant started.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how there's very little explanation of all these ministry principles that we hear from people. If you don't mind, you told a story today about your dad firing you. Oh, yeah. Give us a little bit of that.
3: Yeah, so there was a time uh, about nine years. I served on staff there 12 years. I guess it's about nine years, uh, somewhere around there. And um, uh, my wife had actually called the, the church to call the senior pastor. And um, and to let him know that she didn't want me to come home. <laughs> I had no idea. Pastors have issues sometimes too, huh? Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I thought life was supposed to be lollipops and kissy poos.
2: And your dad fired you because...
3: Yeah, he said... Um, you know your wife doesn't want you to come home, and and uh, making a long story short, and he said because you're a pastor on staff here, and so that there won't be any idea of nepotism, you're fired. <laughs> and I'm like, what?
2: If a man can't manage his own household well, he's how's no. He, how's he gonna manage the, the house of God. God? Yep. Well, Eric, it's been great having you. I hope you've enjoyed the MIND. It's been a. Good conference so far. It's spoken, been amazing. Uh, twice already. You've got two more times to, to share with us tonight and yeah. then tomorrow uh-huh. before we call it today. Uh, people are getting saved. By the way, we have a live audience here with us. If they have some questions, we'll let them come to the microphone. But if you have any questions, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. <coughs> Let's take a question from our email inbox from Robert. It says, In the early days of the church, Paul mentions that believers in Jesus were meeting on the Sabbath. When did the world's Christians start gathering and worshiping on the first day of the week? Where does it say in Scripture that man can start worshiping on the first day of the week? Robert, a couple of things. Um, the, the, the commandment to honor the Sabbath was a law given to Israel, given to Jews. Uh, The early church, we have to remember, was entirely Jewish. And so they would just continue meeting in the synagogues on the seventh day. Uh, It was uh, in the book of Acts when, um, to honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first day then became the day that Christians would meet in honor of the resurrection it's sort of um, a living illustration of what Paul wrote in second Corinthians 517 if anyone is in Christ he or she is a new creation the old is gone the new has come and what they were doing was celebrating the day that we obviously consider a resurrection day Sunday the first day of the week and what they were doing is acknowledging the completely new thing that Jesus was doing when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples Just before he went to the cross to die for our sins, he picked up the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. In other words, the old covenant couldn't provide what God wanted. He wanted fellowship with men. The old covenant simply ensured that we were going to be condemned forever. John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, we're born condemned and Jesus' resurrection, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, uh, coming to life on the first day of the week, meant there was a new movement. Not not a, a, a Sunday movement, but, but a day where we recognize the first day represents the hope that we have a new life. So the eighth day, new beginnings. The eighth day, seven is the number of fulfillment, eight, the number of new beginnings. Jesus doing a completely new thing Eric do you want to add anything to that
3: yeah, I would add in Romans chapter 14 um, the scripture says starting in verse 3 let no man despise him who does not eat and, and let him not who does not eat judge him who does eat for God received him who are you to judge another man's servants to his own master that he will rise and fall um, God is able to make him stand one, and then in verse 5 it says one person esteems one day Above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day does not observe it to the Lord. And I think that's a really good verse about um, the day that we would honor. I, it, it, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and we should worship him every single day.
2: Yeah, one of Jesus' most radical teachings, in fact, that got him in trouble uh, repeatedly was when he said that the, that the man was not made for the Sabbath, yeah. that the Sabbath made for man. Yes. And that was so foreign to a Jewish construct. In a Jewish uh, culture, um, the Pharisees believed that if, if the Christ were to come, it could only happen if the law of the Sabbath was kept perfectly for one full day. And, and you can see that they were waiting for their, their Christ, their Messiah, but because they couldn't keep it, it was always there. So when Jesus was intentionally, and willfully, at least from their perspective, violating the Sabbath, they just thought, oh, he is our heretic, he's, he's, he's leading people astray. Well, that would happen later with the Apostle Paul's life as well. And as Christians, rather than celebrating one day out of obligation... We get to celebrate being with Jesus every single day. So uh, it's not a Sunday. We've got a lot of people who, who work on Sundays. We live in a completely different world than the world in the time of the Bible. And one of the things that we have to remember is that God understands those things. That's why we at Calvary Chapel, for example, we have a Wednesday night service, we have a Friday night service, we have three Sunday services, and then we have a Monday men's and women's and youth Bible study in smaller groups, uh, all because we want to be available every day for anybody who wants to come and study the Word. So, Robert, we're not obligated worship on the sabbath it was never intended for gentiles that was a law to israel and when we forget that we cease to be effective in studying our bibles i hope that answers your question robert thank you very very much let's go to san antonio now on line one christopher calling christopher thanks for calling you're on the air hey
0: pastor ron uh just calling to get your view on the argument between calvinistic uh predestination and free will uh and i'll listen off i'll hang up and listen offline
2: <laughs> okay christopher thank you very very much eric let me let you take a shot at that first
3: um th- that actually is the argument that started the calvinists and armenianism split when jacobus armenianist was actually a A graduate from one of Calvin's colleges and he was a debater and he couldn't beat that debate and so that's how he um, you know basically Arminianism started the the idea uh, that that beat the argument was Calvinists believe that people do not have to have faith um, or good works at all as written in the Westminster Confessions of Faith and I think the Bible is very clear on that, that um, uh, the just shall live by faith, that we're saved by grace through faith. Um, I think it's also very clear that the Scripture says that in the last days that men will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. And I think that the enemy is going to do everything that he can to get us to stop having faith um, in Jesus. I mean, I think Paul even made it very clear in Galatians 2.20 Um, when he said, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who gave himself for me. Um, I have a lot of Calvinist friends, um, a lot of reformed friends, um, which sometimes that means the same thing. Sometimes it means something different, just depending on who you're talking to. Um, and I believe that they love Jesus and I believe when they die, they're going to go to heaven and they'll be raptured, um, uh, but I believe that the teaching that we do not need faith is a dangerous teaching.
2: Yeah, and Christopher, I would add there, there's not necessarily, there doesn't need to be any tension between free will and predestination. The doctrine of predestination or election is clearly a biblical doctrine. The only basis upon, um, uh, the only question is the basis upon which that choice is made. Now, we're told that we're creating the image of God. That means two things. First, it means that we have the capacity to choose. Just like God chose us, we have to choose Him. The second thing that means is that we're going to live somewhere forever. The minute we become human, we're going to live forever somewhere. We're going to live with Jesus, we call that heaven, or we're going to live away from Jesus, we call that hell. So, the question is... Do I choose God or does he choose me? And the answer is both of those things are true. I have to make a choice. God didn't create a bunch of little spiritual robots to do what he wanted. There would be no pleasure in saying, I love you, God, if I had no choice. But here's the thing, what we have to understand. God knows everybody who's going to say yes to him. Romans 8.29 speaks about, and this is a very personal verse to me, Because all those 13 years that Paula prayed for me, Christopher, uh, it was as though no matter what I did, no matter how evil I was, um, God set his love upon me because he knew that there was a day coming in 1991 where I was going to surrender my heart to him. So no matter how much I tried to change his mind about loving me, I couldn't change his mind. His love was, was set as flint. And so when that day in January came, I found out that I belonged to Jesus on that day, but it was something that He knew all along. And so it doesn't negate my free will. It just means that God brought me to that place where, and He made me desperate. But he brought me to that place where I was able to respond to his love. So the Calvinists would say that we don't have a choice. God either chooses you or you don't. You're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. Uh, and, and, and again, while Eric said there's no heresy there. These are real believers. Uh, this is orthodox Christian doctrine. It's really a sad perspective on the character of God. If God would tell us to make a choice but we don't really have a choice, then it would mean that God is neither loving nor is he kind. So, Christopher, I hope that helps. Predestination, it's a biblical doctrine, but so too is free will. And if you go through the scriptures, Old Testament through the New, we're we're given opportunities to choose repeatedly about whose side that we're on. Who are we with? Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me in my house, Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. Uh, God knows because he knows everything, Who's going to say yes? And in fact, that means, Christopher, there's a finite number of Gentiles. And when that last Gentile says yes, the rapture is going to happen. And we're hoping that happens maybe sometime this week at our conference. Amen. I'm <laughs> with you on money. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, before I have to sleep one more night in that bed. <laughs> <laughs> 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, if you have a question, we have a live audience. They might have a question as well. Anybody at all yet? Nope, okay. Here's a question from Emil. I don't think this is really from Emil, though. Uh, What is the major way that I, as a man, can walk, I'm sorry, can be with Jesus um, to lead my family in their walk with the Lord? I don't want to fall in this responsibility or to fail rather in this responsibility uh emil there's several things that that you can do uh obviously you got to fall in love with your bible it's the word the word the word um but but you got to talk with jesus you know the theme of our conference eric is just be with jesus yeah and if you're with jesus you can't fail uh here's the thing that i want everybody to know if you're not with jesus you're going to fail mm, yeah. because that's our destiny if we're not we can't do good we can't be good but if yeah. we're with Jesus, we can do all things through him who gives us strength.
3: Amen. I absolutely agree um, that, that it's in the Lord and it's his strength. And I think that in praying and seeking his face, waiting upon him, that he would give us a a, a good direction. And p- as a personal testimony, I've tried all different kind of uh, ways with this. When my kids were younger, we did little family devotional books that, that had pictures of animals or, and whatnot. Um Uh, There are times that we just did regular Bible studies where we just read different chapters and then discussed that. Um, There's times when it just my wife and I, I'd read one chapter, she'd read another. um, Today, I have found that leading by example um, in my house works the best um, in that I'm usually up before anybody else does. And um, I love my coffee and Bible and prayer time with Jesus. And um, I love to start my day that way. And um, I find that uh, when my wife gets up and she walks out, she sees me reading my Bible. She usually just gets her cup of coffee, sits down on the couch and starts reading her Bible too. And um,
2: You know, Paul says in Ephesians 6 that that fathers are not to embitter their children. mm. Another translation says exasperate your children. So the first thing that I would tell you is that the only way your children are going to know who Jesus is if you're walking with him. Um, you've got to be the genuine article. You, you can't be um, on Sunday all Jesus and then the rest of the week you're doing your own thing. Um, not only getting up in the morning and, and praying and spending some time with the Lord, uh, but but the way you communicate in your home, uh, the tone of voice, the, 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 the volume. Of, of those conversations uh, your personal godliness believe me uh, your wife and your children if, if you're not the real thing they know it and they're going to become embittered about your Jesus they have to benefit from your relationship with the Lord and one of those things and we've been talking about this here at our men's retreat as well Eric the, the one thing that we have to understand is that, that Jesus isn't going to bless duplicity we have to be sincere. We have to be committed. And, and the people around us, if they don't personally benefit from your relationship with Jesus, then you're going to fail in that responsibility of, of leading people, uh, leading your family to, to follow in your footsteps. You know, Eric, one of the things that the, that the Apostle Paul said that I want to be able to say in my life, I hope I can. Paula would be the best judge of that. Um, but, but for all of us, we ought to be able to say, follow my example. As I follow Christ, yeah. And too many of us were afraid of that. Say, no, don't put that on me. That's too heavy. But if we can't say, follow me as I follow Jesus, then what kind of message are we sending?
3: Absolutely, it's hypocritical, <clears throat> and I, I think we need to lead by example. Absolutely, and I think that is is a biblical requirement. Uh, it, you Remember that old saying that that you hear from from time to time. You know, do as I say, don't do as I do.
2: <laughs> I heard that like ten thousand times growing up. <laughs> So I hope that answers your question. 340-9585, where are we? About two minutes left in this half of the program. Uh, Eric, I'll let you have Kelly's question. What is dispensationalism, and is it false teaching?
3: There are so many different levels of dispensationalism. Um, I I just ran into some just a couple months ago um, that it was a new revelation for me about dispensationalism. They didn't believe that we needed anything in the Bible um, other than the Pauline epistles, and that, that that all other books were con- should be considered um, pointless to us. I've met other dispensationalists, and by definition, it is a belief that there's different times of events of the scripture. For example, the the scripture had an intent for the audience that it was written to. It, it's defining a specific uh, point of time and a specific type of people. That would be your traditional idea of dispensationalism. Where do we get this word? It's out of actually the book of, of Romans where we read about the dispensation of the fullness of the Gentiles, which is in Romans chapter 11, um, which essentially is just telling us that right now is the church age, like Pastor Ron was saying earlier, and there is gonna be a time when, when that full number is picked and then God will call his church home and then we read in in the scriptures that, that there will be many Jews, chiefly after the, the battle in in Gog and Magog, that they will come back to the Lord.
2: We'll pick up Kelly on, on a little bit more in answering your question on the other side of the break. You're listening to the words of stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvert Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, with a special guest, my friend Eric Coburn. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We will be back in two minutes.
1: back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
2: welcome back we've got 30 minutes left in a week the weeks the older i get the faster the weeks go by hey we were sort of informed uh, we were talking with the live audience at the break that we sort of left pastor eric being told by his wife not to come home and and i think eric wants everybody to know that their marriage is fine now everything is great she let him back in the house and i think when you go back to frisco she'll be they're waiting for you I sure hope so <laughs> yeah. that, that was years ago you know what I like when people share is is sometimes there's this perception that pastors don't have those kind of problems and mm. the truth is if we fall away from Jesus just a little bit we got every problem everybody else has
3: oh yeah I think the devil there's a bullseye on a, on a minister's chest I think and back yeah.
2: what we know doesn't help us if we're not with the one that we know let me finish just with struggle struggling then we got uh, Kevin here in the studio Um, uh, Kelly, dispensationalism uh, is, is just, as simply as I can put it, it's God working with different groups of people different ways throughout time. We know that he dealt with Adam and Eve differently than he dealt with Abraham. We know that he dealt with Moses differently than he dealt with Abraham as well. So what we've got is we've got God just doing different things. When Jesus came, Um, He let us know that he was a dispensationalist. And and just for full disclosure, Calvary Chapel is dispensationalist in our theology. But Eric, not the hyper-dispensationalism. Anything that's good and healthy, people will will exaggerate and ruin.
3: Yeah, they sure do.
2: Yeah, and and that's what happened. Uh, When Jesus walked into the synagogue at the the, the beginning of his ministry, uh, he walked in, uh, it was customary for a visiting rabbi to be asked to share, and he opened the scrolls. He couldn't turn in the Bible to Isaiah chapter 61 like we can. He just opened the scroll to Isaiah. Imagine that for a moment, Eric. Jesus opening the scroll he wrote. And he uh, quotes Isaiah chapter 61. He talks about um, the year of the Lord's favor being proclaimed. Um, But he stops at a critical point because the next sentence is, and to proclaim the day of the Lord's vengeance. He didn't go there. In other words, what he was saying was the vengeance will be taken care of at another time yeah, in a different way. Right. So, so Jesus sort of announced a dispensationalist view. But the whole idea about dispensationalism, um, for me, Eric, it's the only way that we can make sense of the Bible. If I read that everything God said to Israel or to Jews or every law that he gave was also written for me, then I've missed the plain meaning of the text. Um, on the other hand, when God is speaking to me, uh, I know that because the things that he's talking about apply to me individually, and we can put those things together in life. So Kelly, dispensationalism is is solid. Um, uh, I'd recommend, if you are interested, getting a Schofield Study Bible. Schofield, C.I. Schofield is sort of the father of the modern dispensationalist movement. Uh, He was a big influence on my pastor's life, Chuck Smith, uh, when he was uh, alive. Uh, And um, I think it's the only way that we can make sense of the Bible without getting everything confused. So let's go Kevin on our studio microphone. Kevin, thanks for coming forward.
0: Thanks, Pastor. we hear a lot about social justice, the term being thrown around in the uh, Christian community today. And I was just wondering, what is the biblical response to that? And is there a place for social justice when, when sharing
2: the gospel? Social justice gospel is not a gospel at all. You know, it's, it's, it's a demonstration, I think, Kevin, of, of really weak faith in what God wants to do. I had a question similar to this. Uh, Last week on the program, John MacArthur has made this a really hot topic of late uh, because he's sort of on an anti-social justice rant. Um, Sometimes he can sound like he's so angry, but the idea is, is people want the church to do things to sort of even the playing field in the world. What's fair for one is fair for all. If there is a victim, we have to take care of that victim and compensate that victim. Uh, If there are hungry or hurting people, we've got to elevate them up. And the people who have a lot should give to those who don't have a much, so that everything is more equal. Well, that's a concept that you can't find in the Bible. Now, we should take care of the widows and orphans. We should take care of of the aliens among us. Um, We should look at people with compassion. Uh, But all of that happens by being with Jesus. And if we're trying to populate heaven, if that's our goal, we want Jesus to return and we know that last Gentile is out there somewhere, well, we've got to tell people the gospel that has life transforming power. That Jesus Christ was born, he became a man, that he eventually died, murdered at the hands of his enemies, that they put him in a grave and that he didn't stay dead, thus guaranteeing eternal life for the rest of us. And that's the gospel. The good news is hope from this world. Now, Before I turn this over to Eric for his thoughts, every church, and I believe this with all of my heart, every church has a vision given by God, and I think the Lord will use his church to take care of these social justice issues. Uh, As you know, Kevin, our church, we have a free school. Uh, We have a free medical clinic, a doctor's office, family practice doctor's office. Uh, we have a house for uh, girls and women who are trying to get their life together. They've been in trouble or, or are in danger of being abused by, by uh, dangerous spouses. Um, God's used us to fulfill our part of that social justice pursuit. And, and that's the vision he has for us. It's my opinion, Kevin, that every pastor ought to say, Jesus, you're the head of this church. I'm not. What do you want your church to do? And I think God would use his church. If pastors would would um, simply relent and say, Jesus, it's your church. What do you want to do? I think we'd find Jesus could really take care, uh, using his people, the church, to do marvelous things. And, and sadly, we don't even ask because we typically do what everybody else does. And we try to do a little differently. We try to do a little better. But we really don't give Jesus free reign in our church, Eric. I'd be interested in your thoughts.
3: Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree, <clears throat> and I I think the I remember Pastor Chuck saying in, when we lived in Southern California that it's all the guys that were going out planting churches. He he just flat out said, "You you can't do what I did. You you have to go to the area that God called you to, and you have to find out what God's doing there and do that because God's already in it." And and I I do think that if we start chasing different aspects or cultural trends, that that we can end up in a place that God really didn't intend us to be. I I, I love your answer. Just we got to pray, we got to seek the Lord, we got to do what God wants us to do. And um, like I tell our church, we we got to stay in our lane. We, we got to do what we're called to do. And and there may be other people that are called to do something different, and that's totally fine. But what God's called me to do is to to preach the word, um, and and to love the people that are in front of me.
2: Eric, can you imagine taking time on a Sunday when the largest numbers of people are, are at church, taking time on a Sunday from declaring God's Word to dealing with issues or politics or anything else? I mean, it makes no sense to me. When we've got the life-changing power of the Word of God to say, you know what, my opinion today is going to take precedence over that. And and I think we're, we're bound... Uh, to, to, to declare the Word, the Word, and nothing but the Word. Amen. And it's the Word that changes lives. Kevin, does that... That's perfect. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you very, very much. Uh, one one uh, thought, Eric. Why is it, do you think, that pastors... It's it's like we're living in the time of the judges, mm. when man does what seems right to him. Uh doesn't it make sense that every pastor needs to go to Jesus and say, these are your people, I'm your servant, any of the resources that we get belong to you, what do you want to do with them? Absolutely. Instead, we do what everybody else has done.
3: The church was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I, I think we're trying to perfect it rather than just allowing him to do what he wants to do.
2: Quenching the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Three four zero ninety five eighty five Sean standing on our microphone. First off, I want to say, hey baby, if Jessica's out there and she's listening, <laughs> miss you doll. <laughs> see you soon. Um, so we heard earlier you say the like the newest version of the NIV is, I guess, not ideal or le- way less than ideal. L- let me use the word I used: horrible. Horrible, right? <laughs> I was trying to be polite, but um, so I've I've heard that. And I've heard that it's because it's a little gender neutral. Is there like an example that y'all would have that y'all have seen in the new NIV that you could say, "Well, this is what the, another translation says, and that's why this one is really terrible." Um, uh, be, because we're here, uh, Sean. I don't. I don't have the the 2011 version of the NIV with me. Uh, but it's it's more than just being gender neutral. It's 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 being. Um, uh, unfaithful as a translation. Now, the people here know, and I want the audience to, to be reminded, that I am a huge, huge fan of the 1984 NIV. I still think uh, of all the, the, the New Testament translation I've studied, it is the best, and I think we have to be honest and realize that it's also by far the most popular Bible translation ever written in English uh, and it's not even a close second. Uh, we love the King James we love the language um, those who don't quite do King James still want to be like King James-ish they'll get the New King James version um, but, but most of the time when somebody's trying to teach the, the, the New King James, the King James will say well, what it means and then they'll quote what the, the 84 version of the NIV says um, but you see they're, they're faithful to translate a manuscript the 84 version of the NIV is a thought-for-thought thought translation. In other words, we don't have to take it literally word-for-word, word, uh, and 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 it, it more easily accommodates our English understanding. Uh, but the 2011 version, uh, there's another one, the, the, today's New International Version, which didn't last long, thankfully. Um, what they're doing is they're really interpreting. Rather than faithfully translating the manuscripts, they're putting their perspective on it, which ceases then to be a translation, it becomes um, uh, an interpretation. And it's just something that, that was unnecessary. You know, Bible publishers like to sell Bibles and coming out with something new does that. But to everybody in the audience, both here and uh, on the air, uh, if you have a 2011 version of the NIV, get rid of it uh if you can't find the 1984 version of the NIV uh Paul and I are starting to fall in love with the new living translation um we found it a, a very faithful new testament translation um and um and and of course the King James and New King James are also good and dependable um there are others the NASB it's a little bit difficult to to read but um there there are plenty of faithful translations out there so does that help Sean? Yes. Thank you. Eric, you want to you have any State, personal talk about your your manuscripts.
3: Uh, I, I think you defined it pretty well. I, I I heard it said one time: read the translation that that it, that you understand, and you're getting fed by. Um, I think God is faithful to use His Word uh, to lead and guide us. I read the NIV for years, and and I changed because the Bible teacher I was sitting under wasn't teaching from it. And, uh, but the Lord used the NIV to really grab my heart, open my eyes. It was just easier to read and, and easier to understand. I got my kids the New Living Translation. Um, I, I, I like it. Um, I teach from the, the, the NKJV. And um, uh, I, I know the ESV is very, very popular now. Um, and uh, just growing the Lord, that's the, that's the most important thing to me.
2: If you don't read it, it won't have any value for you. So uh, just find one that you'll read. Find one that speaks to your heart. Three four zero ninety five eighty five, Ellis. Uh, Pastor Ron, uh, first Kelly, and if you're out there, I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll be dry. Uh, just to add to the discussion about Bible versions, in my head, I'm already hearing maybe baby Christians saying, "Okay, now I'm confused. I don't know what to read." You know, um, so even in those horrible translations even though they're not the best for study, or is there any substantial differences in that where if I'm reading this study, I'm going to miss Jesus and go to hell? No, no, no. The, the version of your Bible is not an essential to the historic Christian faith. Um, but, but remember, we're, we're, we're commanded to be good students Men and women who rightly divide the word of God study to show yourself approved, and and we want to start with a foundation that's dependable. Uh, so, just find a dependable translation, and and there are so many of them uh, as compared to those that are not good. I'm not a fan, Eric, of, of paraphrases, um, uh, the message, and 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 other paraphrases. Uh, they're not translations. So what we want is a living, active breathing, convicting word of God, and you're going to get that in most of the translations, so find one, as we said a moment ago, that you can read, but it, it's not an essential of the faith, but if you find out you're reading a bad translation, if you've been reading a 2011 uh, NIV and you heard this, then by all means, change. By all means, go find something else.
3: And there are like the New World Translation that is, that they changed words in it specifically um but for the most part reading a christian bible to find the heart and the will of god i mean i think god's going to minister to you the 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 bible teaches us in ephesians chapter 5 that the word of god has a washing effect a spiritual washing effect upon us and i think that's really what we need we need the word of god in prayer and obedience to him and uh um I think the NIV, the, as Pastor was saying, the, the the older version, the the new King James. Uh, I, I like the King James. It's just hard to read, and you've got to use a lot of dictionaries to get through it. <laughs> but um, uh, just grow. It, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. How's a young man going to cleanse his way but by taking, taking heed according to his word?
2: Yeah. I, I absolutely love the King James. Um, that's the Bible I grew up on. Uh, as a Christian, I was grown up when I did that, but um, uh, now when my vision fails—and it does a lot—my uh, church knows that if if I lose my translation that I'm reading from or studying from, and King James starts coming out, it's because they know I can't see. But yeah. it's so memorable; uh, it's yeah. easy to remember, and it's just—it's—it's it's glorious. Mm. Uh, I, I often joke with the church that Jesus, I think, spoke King James, <laughs> and. Um, so it's a great Bible I'm not an anti-King James guy at all Uh, it's just that for the the broad spectrum of people we want a Bible that speaks the same language King James is a word for word translation and sometimes that gets really awkward and then you throw in the the, the fact of the old English and uh, we're asking the question what a bunch so um, again just get a Bible Eric, this is an honorary question. It comes in anonymously, but this is a question that I always give for, uh, to a visiting pastor. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. For men who struggle with pornography, the immediate assumption is that we struggle with lust of the flesh. Do you believe that masturbation has any place in a Christian man's walk, even in the absence of pornography or lust? This question applies to both married and unmarried men. And then sort of a follow-up, can a married man carry out this act with his wife in mind?
3: I think the well, and I don't think. I know that the Lord made the human male body to relieve itself, and it doesn't need our help. The, um, the question to say, can I masturbate and not lust... I, I don't even know if that's physically possible. The um because the Bible does say that we should not lust um uh, at all. The question gets more complicated, can I can I do this and think of my wife? Um I think he should talk to his wife about that.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Does she know? Yeah. yeah. Have you talked about this? I think that's a great question 're a great answer. Um, you know, we have to be really careful with issues of masturbation because the Bible really doesn't speak to the act. But I think there's a spiritual principle here that applies that that, that really goes into every facet of our lives. The things that we do, whether we choose to do them, what is our motive for doing? It? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, our gospel is a golf, gospel of denial of self not self-denial but denial of yeah. self and and just by definition the act of masturbation is the fulfillment yeah. of your flesh absolutely and um so so what's the motive i, I have this question that comes up on this program Eric, a bunch about gambling well the bible didn't talk about gambling no but the bible talks about greed and the bible talks about being lazy and not being willing to work um, uh, so, so, again, everything that we deal with in these matters of conscience, things that the Bible doesn't specifically uh, deal with, everything goes back to motive. What is your motive? And and the thing that you're doing, and Eric, what a great response. Would you do this with your wife? Would you talk to your wife? Does she know you're doing it? Uh, and then it's a matter of conscience between you and the Lord. I said to uh, another question in our Q&A we had uh, just before the program, uh, Romans 14, 23 gives us a principle. Anything not of faith is sin. And that means anything that we have to do and then think, well, was that right? Or should I have done that or shouldn't I have done it? It's almost as though the Holy Spirit is still speaking um, directly to your heart. So, so these are things. You know what's right and what's wrong. You know what your motives are. Uh, just... Be honest enough to say, Jesus, if this is what I'm going to do, I'm doing it for my own satisfaction. And then kind of wrestle with Jesus about whether or not there's any place for that.
3: Yeah, and the scripture says to hold our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And I think that would be a good to hold the thought captive rather
2: than fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Hope that helps. 340-9585, Three four zero ninety is another anonymous question. Should our study of other types of religious material like the Quran to know more of what is wrong with those particular religions uh, in comparison to the Bible? Eric, we talked about this a little bit in our Q&A. Yeah, you.
3: and I, I, for a simple answer, I think we should study what we need to know. We don't need to study what we don't need to know. Um, and by that, invest the time that you would be in the Quran into the, the Scripture, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, uh, and to prayer. Um, as we stated even in that, that Q&A earlier, that, that, uh, that we are uh, not wise of the things of the world, but wise towards the things um, of the Lord. And when it comes to an evangelistic sense, it's the Spirit of God that's moving upon the person more than our... Uh, Persuasive words, or argument, or whatever it it might be.
2: Do you remember an old worship song that was going around? Um, oh, probably twenty five years ago. Eric, um, um, Romans sixteen nineteen says, and it's be simple about um, mm. what is evil, but be wise about that which is good. Yeah. And these are the principles I think that apply in in situations like this. Um, um, I said in our Q&A earlier that that what we need to do is proclaim the truth. Uh, declare the gospel. Don't defend it. Don't argue. Don't get caught up in debates. Uh, don't try to win arguments to, to, to prove that your knowledge is, is greater. But, but instead, simply declare Jesus. Declare the resurrection. Declare new beginnings. Uh, I know Eric, when I got saved uh, 27 years ago, the idea of a new start in life, a do-over, was so attractive to me mm. because I'd messed up everything so badly that nothing yeah. short of a new beginning would have helped. And when we declare that to people, we've got to be comfortable with saying, you know what, this is what we have to declare, and now it's between you and the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit has quickened somebody's heart to life, they're going to respond. If not... They're not, and then we've got to be content with just planting seeds instead of getting sort of a spiritual notch in our belt, like I save somebody or God, use yeah. me. Um, so, so I just don't think there's any value at all in, in, in studying that which is wrong. Uh, instead, just, just focus on that, which you know is right. Well, we've got uh, less than three minutes now. Um, Iris says, God is perfect, yet he repents. How can God repent of anything? Uh, Iris, that's what's called an anthropomorphism. We use English words, human language, to describe an infinite God. So it doesn't mean that God repents because he did something wrong. Um, I'm sorry that I made man, God said, but 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 it's not that God says making man was wrong. He declared that making man was the best thing. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're his workmanship, his poem. Um, uh, the best thing that he ever did. But, but what he means is, look, I'm sorry things turned out this way. I'm sorry that they chose to rebel against me. And, and in fact, um, this isn't the way I planned things. I always think of Jesus looking out over Jerusalem and crying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, yeah. if you knew, if you only knew, that I'd come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. Uh, he was sorry. Yeah. This isn't what he made. He stood at Lazarus' tomb mm-hmm. and wept bitterly yeah. because he thought, This isn't what I intended when I made everything. Um, I intended to walk in the cool of the garden with man for the rest of eternity, and man blew it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think it's a... uh that he's repenting for what he did. He, he knew all things. He's outside of time. These are these are words that, that define us in, inside the the encapsulation of a time bubble. But his heart is broken, and he came as a man, as Hebrews tells us, to empathize with us, to know the thoughts from our perspective. And I, I think that's what a, a a lot of times when we read the scripture, we're kind of muddying that one up a little bit. He came to understand our perspective.
2: Yeah. Isn't that an amazing thing? Jesus wanted to know what I thought yeah how I felt
3: what a loving father
2: <laughs> hey we are inside one minute so let me just say thank you for the questions the phone calls this week it's been a pretty busy week on the program um, uh, it's always a wonderful thing to know that people are listening people's lives are being affected hey I would ask all of you to be praying we've got a bunch of men that are going to be baptized uh, in just a few minutes after this program that's what happens at repeats. people get saved and um We're grateful. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630, The Word, at 4 o'clock. So tune in and we will see you there. Studio audience, say goodbye to everybody out there.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.